evening all. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this a lot. That's quite echoey to me. Is it all right? Okay. I've been looking forward to this a lot, but also getting rather nervous. Um, but the worship has helped calm me down a lot, so thank you very much for that. Um, can I have my slide? So, oh, no, turn it off, quick. <laughs> we got it already. Yeah, it's too easy, isn't it? I tried to mix the letters up to make it more difficult, but I couldn't get there. Okay, so it's not a... And it's not Andrew a... Oh, he's really slow. It's a play. <laughs> he thought it was a mountain. Um, I need to try and focus, don't I? Um, but it is a... A word. Yeah. Um, so what's the word? Yes. Well done. Animation. <laughs> okay, so when I looked at this passage, I've, I've spent a, lot, a long time looking at this passage and I've got very excited about it and I've taken in a lot of things and thought about a lot of things. So we all have to pray that God... In fact, I probably need to pray that God just, you know, funnels it all together and gets out what he wants to get out. So, Lord, I'm, I just thank you so much that you're awesome and amazing and you're able to tame all sorts of things, including, hopefully, my mouth and heart. And, um, Lord, would you just do what you want to do? Um, I love that Craig said that to ask that you would humble us. And, Lord, I pray that you would humble me and humble us in our time together, Lord, that we could hear you speak to us this evening. Please say what you want to say. Amen. Right, um, so let's get to it. Okay, this was the word that I felt God saying to me about tonight's passage. And, I, and Kai preached on it this morning, and I knew that he was going to. We got together on whenever it was, um, and he told me, and we felt that that was, that was God, okay? So God is, God is saying this to us. Um, in case anyone's not sure, it's Jesus that we're disciples of. We've sang some glorious hymns this evening, um, trying to think, great are you, Lord. Um, all the earth will shout your name, our hearts will cry. Um, can't remember the words now, but this is who all of heaven and earth is going to bow before. He is the Lord of all creation. Um, he is worthy of our following and... Um, why not, why not do it now? Why wait? Um, we were reading, we were sharing a passage online the other morning, um, and this passage really jumped out at me from John one twenty nine. So John the Baptist says, Look, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What That verse just stopped me. He takes away the sin of the world. And it, and it also struck, stuck out... Um, the look, I don't know why, I'm not a geek about a lot of things, but I can be a geek about things like this. So I don't know if you can see that, but Monez, who was um, a, one of the clergy here some time back, introduced me to this thing called Scripture for All. 
and it's got the Greek and the Hebrew, so that you can look up the, in, the original words and have a look at where else they appear in the Bible and just try and dig into the meaning a little bit more. And I've really been blessed by that. And um, so the look, it's like really pay attention. It's not just, you know, I think I've read that passage before and thought, oh, look, here comes, you know. <laughs> but it's not like that. It's like pay attention. This is really significant. John the Baptist knew that. Okay, so I think we're all on a journey of discipleship. You might not feel that you are. The fact that you're here this evening, I would suggest, suggests that you are. So who was, who was Jacob's grandfather? Abraham. So that's only two generations before Jacob, okay? So Jacob is Joseph and Judah and the other people that we've read about in this story, Jacob is their father, and he's the grandson of Abraham. So we've had all this stuff going on in the Bible, Noah and all these others, before Abraham, but Abraham is the one that was called, that we first hear about being called to be a people. And the Lord said to Abraham, he was 75 when he was called, leave your country, your relatives, your father's home, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. Okay. So that's the calling. I don't know if you can see this map, but just to show you this, like he comes from, uh, he, he was in Ur of the Chaldeans when, um, when his father actually left Ur. It wasn't that Abraham was called in Ur. Abraham wasn't called until he got to Haran. So it was Abraham's father that decided they were going to leave, leave Ur. God's calling came at, um, these are distracting me down here. God's calling came um, to Abraham when they were in Haran. So Abraham wasn't even part of the decision that took himself out of her. And there's probably been loads of things that have happened to you and me that have not been our decisions, but it doesn't mean that God hasn't got his hand in them and isn't at work in your journey and in your discipleship. So this is my journey. I started in Gravesend. I then went to Sittingbourne. They're both in Kent. Um, then I went to Asia. Quite a lot of stuff happened in Asia. And although I hadn't really accepted Jesus, I didn't know Jesus then, um, I, I can really see that he was at work. Okay, then I went back to Sittingbourne, and that was all a bit... Ugh. And then uh, I came to Aberystwyth. And I've been here most of the time. Oh, it was mushrooms that brought me here, uh, particularly fly garrick mushrooms on the, on the prospectus, on the environmental biology page of the prospectus, which are basically... So, you know, I didn't know God. I wasn't seeking God. But, you know, he just used that to bring me here. Then I went to Norfolk, which is almost as far as Asia, and then I came back again. Um, <clears throat> okay, so that's my journey. Judah's journey. I think Judah is quite a central journey in this... Uh, central character in this story. Okay, so he started life, I think, um, in Padan Aram, which is where Jacob had gone to find himself a wife. He found himself a few wives. Um, Then Jacob, with all his wives and children, left Padan Aram, I think, and went to Canaan. Um, I'll try not to look at anyone that knows whether I've got this wrong. Um, So then... I want to share this because I thought this was really interesting. So in 30, Genesis 37 is where all this, all the stuff happens with um, Judah, uh, sorry, with Joseph, okay? So, so Genesis 37 is a key passage where loads of stuff happens. I could have got it ready, couldn't I? Um, 
So the brothers are fed up with Joseph. Jacob hasn't done a very good job of keeping the family together, really, because he's clearly shown favoritism to Joseph. The brothers have got fed up, and they've ended up selling Joseph into slavery. I thought it was interesting that immediately after that, it says, at that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Terah. So Judah sold his brother into slavery, and, and then he left that place. My sense was, and this is speculation, that God was at work in him. I felt like he couldn't cope with this. He, was, he needed to get away and do some thinking or processing. So Tamar was, his, was, Abraham, uh, sorry, was Judah's daughter-in-law. So he got, Judah went to this place, Adullam. By the way, Adullam means hiding place. This is another thing that made me think, oh, is there some significance in that? Is he, it's like a retreat. He's withdrawn. He gets married there, um, has a couple of sons by this lady, Tamar. And then both sons die. All sorts of other things happen. I won't go into the details, but Abraham ends up being quite wrong to Tamar. She catches him out. She proves it. And she is mentioned in Matthew 1 in the genealogy of Jesus, which is quite unusual for women. There's not many women in the genealogy of Jesus. And this is just some, you know, a a minor woman in Genesis 38 who we don't hear an awful lot about, but she's mentioned. And I think that's significant. Okay. And we know that Judah is significant because whose line does Jesus come from? Judah. <laughs> so, so Rachel was the wife that Jacob loved. Leah was the wife that he didn't really want, but he got stuck with in the beginning. But it's through Leah, the one that he didn't love, that the Levites came and that Judah came and that Jesus came. Okay, so then Canaan goes to Egypt because there's this uh, famine in Canaan. The, sorry, the boys all go, Judah and the other boys, apart from Benjamin, go to Egypt. Okay, they try and get, um, try and get food, but Joseph wants his family together. He wants reconciliation. So he sends, he keeps Simeon, is that right? And then he sends the rest of the boys back, or some of the boys. Um, I haven't been here for a lot of the evening services, so I can't remember. Um, they go back to Canaan to get Benjamin, and then they bring Benjamin back to Egypt. So there's a lot of going to and fro. Okay. In that passage that I was talking about, where Abraham had wronged Tamar, he, first of all, he says that she should be stoned. But then she proves that he's been wrong to her, And he says, she is more righteous than I. So Judah is recognizing righteousness when he sees it. I don't know where they learned righteousness from, because he's only two, well, now the third descendant from Abraham. They haven't had the scrolls yet. They haven't had the, sorry, the Ten Commandments. They're, they're, They're just new in all of this. And like Jacob favoring Joseph... He didn't have Ephesians, wherever it is, that says, fathers, do not frustrate your children. Do not disappoint them. They didn't have all this teaching that we, we can benefit from. 
So I feel that God was starting to work in Judah's heart about righteousness. And I think also what we see in this passage in Genesis 44, that melody read for us, I think that he's come to a place of probably having been really frustrated with his father, but now he's got to a place of actually accepting his father for who his father is. The way he pleads with Joseph, verse 30, he says, So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with that boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. So he's suddenly, you know, he's compassionate. I think that God has been at work in his heart and he's struggling with what, what's been going on. And so I think God has brought him to a place of repentance. And so Judah becomes like a foreshadow of Jesus in some respects because he offers his life in place for Benjamin's. He offers himself as a sacrifice. So I think Judah is a bit of a foreshadow of Christ in some respects. And also Joseph is a bit of a foreshadow of Christ because He's the one that wants reconciliation in his family. And, the, and so, yeah, Judah as well offers himself in place of Benjamin. So he's becoming a sacrifice as Jesus became a sacrifice for us. So although sometimes our, our discipleship might look a bit like that, all jumbled up, God has always got a plan and he's always working it out. Okay, so I've got a little acrostic of what the letters of discipleship, just to help us work through it, might mean. So what do we think D might be? No, it's really easy. (laughs) Is that too easy? Um, Does it sound boring, discipline? I don't know. I think I certainly used to think it was. Um, I think Hebrews 12 is a fabulous chapter. It starts with the word therefore. And I've been told when you see a therefore, you have to see what it's there for. And before the therefore in Hebrews 12 is all the whole list of faith. And we've got all those characters. Most, most all of them through the Old Testament where we can see that God has been faithful. We sang all through history couple of weeks ago went down really well we can we love to see where God has been faithful and he's been using these characters and then we start Hebrews 12 and verse 7 says endure hardship as discipline God is treating us as children so might be a strange thing to start off with discipline with thinking about hardship but we all go through hardships And it doesn't mean that God isn't at work. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. He disciplines us as his children. It might not be because we've done anything wrong, but discipline doesn't necessarily mean I'm I'm reprimanding you. It means that he's honing us. He's refining us. He's bringing us into a place of deeper trust in him, helping us to trust in his promises, helping us to dig into him, press into him, um, seek him out. He wants us to, to, to pull out more from him. He wants to, us to pull out, okay, what, what would you say to me in this situation? What are your promises? Um, as you endure this divine discipline, this is, so another thing that Monet's taught us was look at different versions of the Bible, and I find this fantastically helpful, because 
yes, I believe that God has inspired the Bible, but I'm not convinced that the translations and the transcriptions are, can be perfectly done. I think, it's, I think we need to have a look. And also, God will speak to us in different ways. So I think we need to look at different versions to help us get a different grasp on things. Um, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Okay, I, intimacy. I don't think I could do the discipline, in fact, I couldn't do the discipline without the intimacy. I need to know that I'm loved by God. I need to know that I'm in a relationship with God. And it's the intimacy with God and his love for me that inspires me to want to be a disciple. Jesus, so if we need any evidence that God wants us to be intimate with him, John 17, Jesus is praying to his father and he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Psalm 63, this is one of my all-time favourites. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And in John 15, when Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches, he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. There are, I don't know how many scriptures that talk about him wanting a relationship with us and wanting to be intimate with us. S. Significant. This is probably follows on from the last point, but I think he wants us to know that we're significant and he also wants us to treat others as significant as well. He said in Jeremiah 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Ephesians 1, even before he made the world, he loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Um, and he talks about writing our name on the palms of his hand in Isaiah. So we are significant to him. We have to know that. And then we, and then we need to be treating others as significant as well. Culpable. So I think Judah knew, even though he wasn't guilty, they, none of them were guilty for putting the cup in Benjamin's sack. Um, I think Judah had their underlying guilt from what had gone on before. It means deserving blame. I found this picture quite helpful. Um, I feel that I've got a bit of an issue with pointing fingers and assigning, apportioning blame. And I know it's really cheesy, but I find it really helpful to think that when we point a finger that there are three pointing back at us. And we are told, you know, it's our walk. At the end of John's gospel, is it? Peter says to Jesus, what about John? What about that disciple? And Jesus basically says, it's your walk is your business. It's none of your business what I'm doing with John. And it's our walk is our business. Um, and Jesus took all of our blame on himself, as um, Andrew read from Romans 12 earlier. Romans 12, um, reminding us about this, our sin was put on Christ. In Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That, 
passage we looked at from John 1. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think of the, the sin of the whole world. Can we, we can't even imagine how enormous and horrendous that is, and he took it all on himself. Another eye. So there's three eyes in discipleship. And I think, you know, three eyes is the most frequent letter in the word. And it's us that probably get in the way or certainly get in the way more than anything. And so we've got three, three opportunities to make sure we bring ourselves to, into him, into line with him. And, um, and I also like the fact that it's three because it makes me think of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And I love the thought of being united with them and of being intimate with them. I've put immediacy because I think it's really important to remember that he is with us. So um, I found this um, website that's got over 100 verses that talk about his, his being present with us. So before even Israel entered the promised land, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And um, Kai shared with us that passage this morning from the end of Matthew's gospel. Behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. He is always with us. We can always call on him. Ephesians says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. We don't need to stress. We don't need to get angry. We don't need to fret because the Lord is near. But we need his power. We can't do any of this without the Holy Spirit. And we had that promise in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem. It's exactly what Kai was talking about this morning, in all Judea and Samaria Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, So this guy, James Dixon, I just read uh, his commentary last night um, and he'd put this note at the end of this passage on Genesis 44, sacrificing worldly gain for a better relationship with God is the battle of all Christians. It can only be accomplished through supernatural power. That's the Holy Spirit. By the way, um, another thing, sorry, I'm talking about monas quite a lot this evening, but another thing he used to say was, if you don't understand something in the word, you know, yes, try and, try and seek God, try and ask him to explain it, but also just be willing not to know sometimes. Be willing just to leave it with God. Um, Sorry, yes, I needed that to prompt me. So um, this guy, James Dixon, right, so I was really struck when I first started reading through that passage again about the cup of divination. I was thinking, what, Joseph, divination, what's that all about? And I started to look into it, and the only thing I found up until last night when I read this guy's thing was that um, he, he wouldn't have used divination, but he, as a, as a kind of higher-up figure in Egypt, he would have taken on the kind of role or the um, appearance of someone that practiced that kind of art, which is not something that God's people do because God wants us to seek him. He's the one that has all the truth. He knows what's good for us. He's got his plans and purposes for us. We don't need to be looking elsewhere to astronomy or if I got the right one, because I get mixed up with astronomy and astrology. But anyway, we don't need to be seeking anywhere else for our guidance and direction. So 
but this guy, James Dixon, was saying that part of Joseph's plot was that he'd labelled them as spies. He'd suggested that they were spies early on, and then he sent them back to go and get Benjamin, pretending that he didn't really believe that, they, that Benjamin was their brother. And the cup of divination being in Benjamin's sack would have been part of that story because they would have, if, if they were spies, they might have taken the cup of divination to try and find out more about that particular kingdom. And so the answer didn't come to me straight away about divination but, and, and why on earth it was in the passage and why Joseph might be talk, by, might, it might seem as if Joseph was practicing that. Um, but later the, the answer came. Lordship versus likes. We have to submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ, which isn't necessary, and, and that might not mean getting what we want, or rather what we think we want. I would say Psalm 37, verse 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So I honestly believe that when we trust him and submit ourselves to him, he gives us the desires of our heart. And so Yes, we've, give, we've put his lordship first, but then our likes. He gives us our likes because he's a good God. Um, I would say there's no peace and no joy or excitement like surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. And Paul in Philippians 3 talks about wanting to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, being conformed to him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the, death, of the dead. And he says he's not already been able to achieve all of these things, but he presses on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. He hasn't yet obtained it all, but he wants to forget what's behind and press on towards what's ahead in Christ. Enthusiasm. I think we need some enthusiasm to do discipleship. Um, But Joseph was quite enthusiastic telling his brothers and his parents about his dreams. So it has to be done humbly and um, sensitively. Again, Paul says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I love the way he says that. My God will meet all your needs, whatever we need. He wants to provide it for us. And again, back to Hebrews 12 We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and run the race that he's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. In the Welsh, that fixing your eyes on Jesus is literally nailing our attention to him, which obviously makes us think of the cross. But it's really active. It's really, it requires effort. Submission, surrender, and service. Talked about this already, really, with the lordship. Um, Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily. And I think that means dying to ourselves, really, Um, what we want or what we think we want, putting others' needs first. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Holiness. Without holiness, the Bible says no one will see God, but we're not gonna, we cannot ever get there ourselves. It's, 
him in us, and I quite like this picture. Um, it doesn't mean being out separate from everyone else. It means having his light, his truth, shining with him in the midst of the darkness around us. I think this is from the Living, Translate, Living Bible, maybe. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform us into new people by changing the way we think. Then we will learn to know God's will for us, and that's his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that, that transformation comes through the word. We have to be, the Bible talks about being, Ephesians talks about being washed with the word. And, and it's only through reading the scriptures that, like, like Jacob didn't have Ephesians, wherever it is, that says, do not, fathers, do not frustrate your children. But we do. We need to keep reading these things so that our hearts are changed with the power of the Spirit. Inspiration. Um, this is Paul's writing again, but all praise to God who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. We need to be inspired and we need to be reading things that will inspire us and talking to people that that get us excited about following God and help us to do that. And finally, prayer. End of Ephesians. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And, And be and always keep praying for all the saints. So we need to be praying for one another. I'm trying to get into the habit of, if I'm cross or or frustrated or feel like someone's let me down or whatever, just to bring it in prayer to God and to pray blessing on them. And Paul says in the same passage, pray that whenever he opened his mouth, words would be given him so that he could boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. And we we want to do that. Kai was calling us this morning into discipleship and into proclaiming Jesus. Um, We've been looking at Nehemiah in the mornings and about rebuilding um, Jerusalem. And we're invited, we're all invited to be part of that living building. So just to go back to the story of Judah and Joseph and Jacob... They're individual lives, but they're all part of God's enormous picture that he has planned out since the creation of the world and which we've sung a little bit about from Revelation song this evening as well. And um, we're all at a different stage in our journey, but I just want to encourage us to really press into more and more of following Jesus. So I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're here and that you love us, and that you've chosen us to be your disciples. Thank you for the amazing blessing and privilege that it is to be known by you, and that you reveal more and more of yourself to us. And Lord, I thank you for this place, thank you for every person here, and for the plans that you have for each of us. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us all a greater hunger and commitment to pursue you and to see your name glorified and honoured and exalted in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.